G'day everybody, my name is Elliot Waters and you're listening to the Dysregulated Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is all about my huge problem with rejection sensitivity. So we're going to dive into that, what it's all about and what it means and what it means for me day to day because there's a bit going on. Now I want to preface this episode by saying today has been one of those days. You know those days when you're just a bit reflective, a bit melancholic, everything's got a bit of a grey tone to it. Well, that has been today. But the show must go on because this podcast is the realest, most genuine podcast on all the internet. I'm sure of it. And to make sure that that is the case, you can't just be doing episodes when things are good. So today is an episode being done out of the the grey of reflection. But anyway, the show must go on. Resilience. Let's get into it. So what do I mean by rejection sensitive? Well, it's something like this. None of us like to be rejected, obviously. And some people, and this is me, are very sensitive to social rejection in particular. So we're talking such examples like I don't know, being rejected from friends groups or being rejected by potential romantic interests, being overlooked for a promotion at work, and the perception is all because we deserve to be rejected in one way or another. That feeling that there is something fundamentally wrong with who we are. So where it really becomes pathological is when the individual who is rejection sensitive is not able to get around it and it gets in the way of their quality of life. And that is me. These people expect rejection from most interactions, even if there has been no actual indication that rejection is even coming. It doesn't matter. We will create the rejection framework in our head. It's all, it's all there. So how I tend to conceptualize it is a bit like this. So when you are socially rejected, it is because the other person has evaluated who you are They've evaluated what you stand for, your personal narrative and persona and decided it is not good enough. We do not measure up. And I'll tell you, that is a crushing feeling. Even if there's not much logic going on with what I just said, there really isn't. And I sort of know that there's not, but I'll tell you, it's hard to get around in the moment. That's for sure. So a high level of rejection sensitivity ties in nicely with another psychological concept, and this is hypervigilance. I and others like me are constantly on the lookout. This is very social anxiety sort of stuff. We're looking for the smallest cues, and if there's no cues, we'll create them anyway, that convey disapproval. We obsessively scan the room and uh, and are taking mental notes, focusing on such things like body language, people's facial expressions, people's tone of voice. Anything that may indicate rejection is surely coming. This is why I think, going on a little bit of a tangent, I get socially burnt out a lot. Often I'll make plans to see people and cancel because I just do not have the capacity for any more socializing, any more hypervigilance. My batteries have run out. So I really think the energy required to constantly be on the lookout for social danger is part of this problem. Where is the next rejecting event lurking? Because it surely is. And when you are being hypervigilant, you're obviously in an aroused state. So that means your heart rate's up, adrenaline's pumping, very much a physical phenomena mirroring other anxiety-provoking situations. So where's you out? That's for sure. But let's get back to rejection sensitivity specifically. So Geraldine Downey and Scott Feldman 
in their seminal work, Implications of Rejection Sensitivity for Intimate Relationships, which was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, one of my favorites, describes it like this, and I quote, people who are sensitive to social rejection tend to anxiously expect, expect, that's the real killer for me, readily perceive and overreact to it. So that's all true, but especially the first part, the expecting rejection, even if there is no evidence to support such a conclusion. And I'll tell you what, it is giving me grief right now. He's a big problem. Whereas in the past, I've been able to accept rejection is probably a strong possibility in any social setting. Usually I was able to push through this feeling or expectation, whereas nowadays, unfortunately, I think my rejection sensitivity has gotten a lot worse and I'm just always going into these interactions with a negative headspace. It is not a good place to be in, unfortunately. So like everything in psychology, people differ in their responses to stimuli, different stimuli, social cues, life complications, etc. And how people react to rejection is no different. Now, some people, those very lucky few, are just able to shrug off rejection like it's nothing. Other people like me never forget any occasion where they've been rejected. I remember all of them and I haven't let go of any of it. Unfortunately, my rejection sensitivity is so strong at the moment that rarely will I engage with the idea that a positive outcome may just happen, let alone actually do something about it by giving it a chance. Because that obviously just sets one up for failure, right? Why put yourself out there when you're only going to get negativity back? Now, of course, I know that that's not true and it's, again, not very logical. But unfortunately, it's got a bit of a grip at the moment. And of course, when I say all this, one of the main areas is obviously the dating scene, obviously, but not just that, it's pretty much across the board. So I have a degree now, for example, and I'm doing nothing about getting a job with that degree. And that's a big problem because I need more money. Now let's go back to dating quickly though, because it is one of my favorite topics So for a while, I have purposely opted out of this area and for good reason. So still to come on this podcast is what I'm calling at the moment, the episode. It is the big one that ties everything together nicely. And of course, me having a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, it involves one almighty breakup, which completely changed everything. My perception of the self was shattered And my false reality I'd built up, which I didn't even know I was doing, but all of a sudden, oh, hang on, we're not on sure footing at the moment. What do we actually stand for here? It all crumbled, but I'm hoping out of the ruins, a better version of me has come to fruition. It's very much like the mythology of the phoenix. In a ball of emotional turmoil, the old Elliot went up in flames, But out of this, a new, better me was born. And I do believe that. Even if my inner critic says I'm wrong, screw you, mate. I am a better person for it. So anyway, that's all well and good. So we've opted out. Right. But now, the thing is, you can't always just flick a switch and go, right, everything is going. We're turning it all back on. Let's get into it. So the problem is that my rejection sensitivity is so high at the moment, there is no chance of me putting myself out there at the moment to do anything about the whole dating thing. And you can guess Valentine's Day was this week, and yes, that is probably where a lot of this episode has come from. 
There was lots of driving around Newcastle late at night, that particular night, singing very emotionally charged songs, my absolute favourite, and a bit of soul searching. But the conclusion I came to was that for the dating scene, but also for employment, for any other goal that I'm trying to achieve that involves people really, it was concluded that this idea of rejection sensitivity needs to be sorted as it is proving to be one hell of a barrier that needs climbing over. And it's just too high at the moment. It seems to be getting higher. But anyway, we will be working on that as I'm going to go through in a little bit. So rejection sensitivity is tightly linked to many mental health disorders, as you could have guessed, in particular, borderline personality, bipolar, ADHD, you see it, PTSD, social anxiety, let's be honest, all of them. Anything that's got emotional dysregulation in it, you tend to find at least an element of rejection sensitivity as well. So where does it come from? Well, With so many psychological afflictions, a lot can be explained by an insecure attachment style developed from an early age. That is, a child who was unsure of whether their primary caregiver or caregivers could adequately meet the needs that they had. Now, these needs can include such things like comfort, empathy, validation of one's feelings and emotions, etc. Now, parents or caregivers who tended to a child's needs sensitively And consistently, that's the big one I think, consistently, mostly results in an adult who is not rejection sensitive. Obviously, we've we've all got a little bit of rejection sensitivity there, but at least an adult who is not overcome by this sensitivity. And of course, if a child did not get those things sorted, the opposite occurs. You tend to see people with high levels of rejection sensitivity. And the reason is a child creates their their sort of framework of reference when navigating the world from the working models that they picked up on derived from their caregiver's actions. So what is also true here is the needs of children vary greatly from child to child. No child is the same. Some children may be so needing of, say, emotional validation that the parent, without knowing this, of course, young children aren't the greatest communicators, is unable to meet this standard. Some children are predisposed to needing an extremely high level of, let's say, emotional nourishment. Like most things in psychology, this all exists on a continuum. I personally have a sneaky suspicion that I was one of these high-maintenance children. Some would say I still am. My inkling is that I was a child that needed, I'm very certain of this, high levels of validation of my feelings and perceptions of the world. Need to know that what I was feeling was a real valid thing. And I tell you what, this was also true throughout adolescence and admittedly, like I said, pretty much today as well. Now, the legacy of these early thinking patterns can be seen in adults often, all the time you see this. Now, the cognitive affective, when I say affective, emotional, Information processing perspective, so that's people process different emotional thoughts or beliefs of another person and use this information to infer a conclusion from this. So you're picking up what they're putting out there and you're coming up to some sort of conclusion with it. So anyway, this way of thinking puts forward the notion of the influence of prior experiences and thinking and how it drives the expectations one has of a current situation. So in the past, the psychologist I was doing stuff with um, quite rightly explained to me, and it was quite illuminating when I was told, how it was my past negative experiences, because of course I only focus on the negative, 
I use in the present to inform the decision-making of the present. So I'm looking at things from years ago to come up with the plan for today, which is not really the smartest thing. (sighs) So even though the relevance of the past experiences informing current expectations are negligible at best, I need to remember that. Further, let's keep pressing on. The psychological legacy of past experiences also transforms and dictates interpretive biases, that is, focusing on potential negative cues, which can lead one to assume a negative outcome, as opposed to looking for the positive cues instead. And the strategies we use to self-regulate in different interpersonal contexts also is driven by this psychological legacy. So for example, in my case, often it is avoiding them altogether. Then of course, there is the influence of our distorted cognitive affective outlook that it has on our actual interpersonal behavior. So not only are we think in these things, we're acting them out as well. We're acting out this scenario, which is built on falsehoods. So let's go back to the literature again from Downey and Feldman's research. Now, this, I think, totally explains what is going on with my lackluster efforts, you could say, in the dating world and other areas. And I think it would explain a lot for those with borderline personality disorder in particular. It goes something like this, and I quote, whereas rejection sensitivity may originally develop as a self-protective reaction to parental rejection, this system may prompt behaviors that are poorly adapted to adult circumstances. Yes. When activated in a relatively benign social world, so there's not that much negativity going on, rejection sensitivity may lead people to behave in ways that undermine their chances of maintaining a supportive and satisfying close relationship. You're working against yourself. Our model suggests, that's their model, that people who enter a relationship disposed to anxiously expect rejection from significant others should be likely to A, perceive intentional rejection in their partner's insensitive or ambiguous behaviours, so they're not actually being rejecting here, but we're picking up that they are, B, feeling insecure and unhappy about their relationship, makes sense, and C, respond to perceived rejection, sorry, rejection, been saying that word a lot, or threats of rejection by their partner with hostility, diminished support, or jealous controlling behavior. When unjustified and exaggerated, these behaviors are likely to erode even a committed partner's satisfaction with the relationship. Ho oh, ho, that is like a slap in the face. So, It goes right to the root of what I'm looking to fix with my new psychologist. This is a big ticket item, obviously. We need to find a way to dial down this expectation that everyone in every situation is going to end in rejection. We need to focus not only on the negatives from the past because you can learn a lot from them. That's what memories are actually there for. So we don't make mistakes again. Um, But what we also need to do is accept there's positive cues as well. So there's plenty of examples in my past of where rejection did not occur, and that is just as valid as the negative memories as well. I need to remember both sides of the coin. The other thing I need to do, and this is a general point that crosses into many, again, different realms of my story, is to evaluate any given situation by checking the facts 
a simple yet effective technique that I've borrowed from dialectical behavior therapy. Check the facts, check the logic behind this way of thinking. So instead of being some sort of poor mind reader, thinking I know how others are thinking and therefore how they will react, I need to voluntarily proceed with the most informed and factual account of things that I can and push back against the automatic response of assumed rejection. Jeez, why is it so hard? And if some degree of rejection does occur, we need to evaluate it as an isolated specific case and not life-defining. <sighs> anyway, so now is the part of the episode where ordinarily I'd like to put forward some ideas on how to overcome rejection sensitivity. But you may have guessed that I'm a little way off from figuring out how to actually fix this maladaptive way of thinking. We have got a bit to go. But believe you me, in therapy, I'm going to find out what bloody works. And as soon as I know, I'm going to let you all in on the secret, I promise. Because I know this is an issue that affects a lot of people. It's definitely not just me. So I don't want to just put forward any old techniques without having a bit of an affinity with them first. I want to trial them first and see what they're like before I recommend anything. And further, of, of great importance, my whole approach to therapy this time around, you may remember, I have a new psychologist now, is to not to try to direct my psychologist towards some sort of treatment or therapy. I don't want to be driving this. I want to sit there and be told new things, new avenues of things we can try. I don't want to be driving all of it. So at a later date, I promise I'll revisit this topic. I will and hopefully... Hopefully, I'll have a perspective on the other side of the wall and my rejection sensitivity will be diminished and put in its bloody place. All right, it is 2 a.m. That is enough for today. That is rejection sensitivity. That was a bit of a deeper one, which has reflect my sort of headspace at the moment. Very reflective. So anyway, thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe to it and share it around with your mates. That would be brilliant. And I'll see you soon for the next episode of the Dysregulated Podcast.